card-carrying basing at this point. Ben Alomar, Director of Sports Analytics at ESPN. He stood next to Big Poppy be like, he's just one of us, man. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal and shows you a lot about the randomness of sports. Rick Peterson, longtime pitching coach for the major leagues. This is Warden Moneyball's post-game podcast. Welcome to the Wharton Moneyball post-game podcast, your crash course, and all of our major themes from our two-hour program, Wharton Moneyball, which you can hear live on Wednesday mornings, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, and it is replayed five times throughout the week on Sirius XM 111. I'm your host of our podcast, our post-game podcast, Professor Adi Weiner of the uh, Wharton School of Business and Department of Statistics. I'm co-host of our show, collaborator with my colleagues, Kate Massey, Eric Bradlow, and Shane Jensen. And we're all professors of the Wharton Business School, and we all are devoted to talking once a week for two hours about sports analytics, the intersection of sports statistics and sports. We had three guests this past week, which was uh, recorded on the morning of the announcement of the Baseball Hall of Fame elections, which, and in honor of that, we actually had two baseball guests. We had Jay Jaffe, who is a contributor to uh, Sports Illustrated. He's a formal columnist for the Baseball Prospectus, and he's the author of a forthcoming book on Cooperstown, on on, uh, the Hall of Fame. It's called Who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Who Should Be In, and Who Should Pack their plaques. And his name is Jay Jaffe. He was our first guest. And then we followed up with another baseball guest, uh, Brendan Harris, who's actually major league, who was a longtime major league baseball player. And he now works with the major league baseball team, the Angels, in scouting and player development. And right now he's actually a Wharton student in the MBA program. And he dropped into the studio for a short interview. And we had actually a third bonus guest, uh, our colleague and collaborator and close friend Scott Rosner, who hosts the Wharton Sports Business Show also once a week on Tuesdays. And he came in and dropped in and talked about football. Of course, a lot has been going on in football. So let's go to our first clip, which is with our guest, Jay Jaffe. So, Jay, we, we wanted to grab you because of all the conversation around the Hall of Fame. What, what do you consider to be the, the most important storylines of this uh, potential Hall of Fame class? Well, I, out, I outlined them uh, last night for, for uh, SI.com, but I think there's, there's a lot going on here. I think we are seeing a momentous election here. Um, you know, first of all, uh, the uh, election of Tim Raines and Jeff Bagwell, both of whom are, uh, look like str- uh, strong likelihood of, be- of being elected based on the pre-election polling, uh, the end of uh, uh, two v- overlong campaigns uh, to get some, some players who uh, have really benefited from uh, – uh, the kind of work that I do uh, with uh, analytics, highlighting uh, maybe you know the the additional facets of their game beyond the traditional batting statistics. Um, Reigns, uh, a great on base percentage guy, great base stealer, um, only one one batting title, but was equivalent in value more or less uh, to Tony Gwynn, who won eight batting titles, oh, wow. and three thousand hits. Okay, uh, Jeff Bagwell. Uh, outstanding uh, defender and base runner, as well as a great hitter, uh, with his offensive stats kind of suppressed uh, by playing in the Astrodome for the first half of his career. Right. Um, I have him as as uh, in my system as the second best uh, post World War II se- uh, first baseman behind Albert Pujols. So that's a big deal there. Uh, beyond that, we've got three guys who are within the margin of error for our our, our projection systems as to who could get in uh, in two first year candidates. 
uh, Yvonne Rodriguez and Vlad Guerrero, uh, and then second-year candidate Trevor Hoffman. Uh, further down, we've got Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds in their fifth years on the ballot, uh, making strong advances towards election uh, for the, uh, you know, for the, kind of the turning point, I think, in their campaigns. Uh, and then below that, we've got Edgar Martinez and Mike Messina also crossing the 50% threshold, mm-hmm. uh, which is a strong indicator of future election. That's nine guys uh, above 50%. Uh, that's something that we've we've only seen, uh, I think, 1947. Or actually, we have, we've only seen eight in 1947. It's, it, anyway, it's a remarkable number of uh, number of candidates. So Jay was giving us a recap uh, about the Hall of Fame candidacy, the election board. This is all on the morning of the announcement. So he didn't know who he was going to get in. But at that time, it was pretty obvious to anyone who looked at the data, the pre-election data, that Reigns was going to make it and that um, Bagwell was also going to make it. And they're interesting candidates because they'd been around a while, both of them, and they never gotten... They hadn't gotten to the 75% threshold, but these are both candidates really helped by modern analytics, particularly Reigns. Reigns uh, never won a batting title, or actually won a batting title once, but his on-base percentage was just sky-high, nearly 390. And this is um, something that, as anyone who studied Moneyball knows, is uh, an incredibly valuable statistic. The ability to get on base is perhaps the most central statistic in the concept of Moneyball. And Reigns was a tremendous at doing so. And Bagwell was a, was a good hitter, was a good fielder, a good base runner. Also, park adjustments is something that the analysts like to, to, uh, to take into account. And they both got over the threshold. We didn't see any... Um, the Guerrero didn't make it, and even mentioned Guerrero. Um, um, Pudge did make it, Pudge Rodriguez. Also based on defensive metrics, primarily wasn't quite as good a hitter, even as good a hitter as Posada, who actually dropped off the ballot. Um, Hoffman didn't make it, although he missed by just a, a tiny fraction of a percent. Um, my my model actually forecasted that he was more likely to get in than not get in, but it was about at the 50 percentile. I also say that my model had Pudge was more likely not to get in, to make it in, but also about the 50 percent, and Pudge also made it. So it was a three-person class. There are a whole bunch of tremendous other players coming up the pike. We have the we have the drug users, Harry uh, Bonds and, and Roger Clemens, um, but we also have good candidates like Edgar Martinez and Mark Messina. These are also um, uh, play, baseball players whose whose evaluations are strongly helped by statistical analysis. Probably would never have even had a chance to make it if you didn't think of it statistically. But particularly in Messina's case. I think a strong case could be made that he's better than the majority of the starting pitchers who are in the Hall of Fame. So here is another clip from Jay. Jay, uh, you've got a system, the JAWS system, um, using analytics to evaluate baseball players. Can you break that down for us? Sure. It's uh, short for the Jaffe Wins Above Replacement System, uh, or, or SCORE. Um, it's something that I've been doing since 2004 uh, at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, the idea is is that I use uh, wins above replacement to analyze each candidate on the ballot uh, along two axes, their career uh, value uh, and their peak value, ah. focusing on wins above replacement to account for their defense uh, as well as their offense, their base running, uh, and to adjust for the wide differences in ballpark and era that have happened throughout baseball history. Right. Um, the idea is that you want to focus on the, those candidates who are above average, who improve the Hall of Fame, or at least don't compromise its standards too much, uh, <laughs> and recommend them for election. Uh, and we have had a veritable flood of them in the last uh, half decade here, and uh, my system has become a, a increasingly helpful in sorting through when you've got, uh, let's say, 15 viable candidates who, who the best 10 are. So 
Uh, I'm gratified that actual voters have taken this to heart uh, and that we're seeing guys like Bert Blylevin in 2011 and, and Bagwell and Reigns here uh, and trending towards future election, Mike Messina and Edgar Martinez uh, as, as guys who, uh, you know, these analytics are strong. They're maybe not the most obvious candidates, again, based on the Triple Crown stats, but uh, uh, I've made their case and uh, uh, I'm happy to play a part in that. So Jay just uh, recapped a little bit about his JAWS system, which really thinks about Hall of Fame candidacy coming from two components, both the longevity component and a peak performance component. And then he repeated what we've all been talking about is the growth of analytics, which is a way to value a player's uh, and and determine their candidacy, their deservedness, using more sophisticated metrics. Here's our last clip from Jay. So I want to focus in on this sort of like distinction between peak performance and sort of longevity performance because it's something we discuss a lot with respect to the Hall of Fame. And it, it, it clearly, do you sort of see, you know, one or like exceptional peak versus exceptional longevity? Are only one of those sufficient for the Hall of Fame? Like I think of somebody you know, like Pedro Martinez. If, if you look through baseball history, you can find, you know, think of Sandy Koufax or um, Hank Greenberg or Ralph Kiner. Uh, or even Pedro Martinez. I mean, you've got guys who burn brightly but shortly, um, and the Hall of Fame has a number of those guys, and you can't understand why they're in without acknowledging that. Um, you know, and you've got guys who stuck around forever, uh, like Tommy John and Jim Cott, who put up big numbers uh, in the grand scheme, but were maybe you know never quite the superstars uh, and have fallen short. So my system is a way of... Uh, weighting those two things. I weight them equally, but I think that there are times when uh, you just want to look at peak, especially when it comes to players who, you know, who experience career interruptions like World War II uh, or the, the color line, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, Jackie Robinson, for example. I mean, you know, he's off the charts in peak, but obviously didn't have a long career because he didn't debut until he was 27 years old. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the idea is that uh, and, you know, there are some Hall of Famers who are maybe more philosophical about uh, long-term value, and there are, more, there are some who are more philosophically uh, inclined towards just they want to see the superstardom in a short period of time. That was an interesting set of remarks. It didn't, uh, we didn't include in our discussion one of the concepts that came up earlier in the conversation, which is the real question of fame. It is the Hall of Fame, and what does that actually mean? In particular, what does it mean with regard to postseason success? Players like Jeter and Ortiz played so frequently and so prominently in the postseason that so much of their renown is uh, comes from that. There doesn't seem to be much consensus that that is, should be taken into account. I would argue that it should be, that it is really genuinely a Hall of Fame. And although not every player has the opportunity to play in the postseason, for those who do and make the most of it, it is a essential or, or necessary, not necessary, but a, a sufficient, in some cases, aspect of a player's candidacy. Ortiz is coming up. I think he'll probably get in. He is a designated hitter, and designated hitters are at a disadvantage, but his postseason dominance has got to play a part. So our next guest is Brendan Harris, who is a professional Major League infielder. He's now working for the Angels. He's currently a Wharton Executive MBA student, and let's hear him discuss the concept of player flexibility. 
Brendan, can you say a little bit about what the Cubs are doing with their players right now? Because that got a lot of conversation and tension that, that they, they like these fl- this flexibility in their players. What does that do for a team to have that kind of flexibility? Why is that such an advantage? It just makes them tough to match up on because it's such a matchup game now, certainly right on right, left on left. Um, and then even they take it as far as their advanced analytics will say, hey, we have a ground ball pitcher on the mound today. Our premium defender was Baez. So where are most balls going to go? We're going to put him at third base. So if it's a run, if it's two runs, you know, that that they prevent by moving hmm. those guys around, then they're going to do that. So, and it's just, especially in the National League, where, where you're going to have to double switch, and it just gives you incredible roster flexibility, tough to match up on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, just a really, ver- versatility has, has become, you know, a little bit of the new competitive advantage in, in, uh, in baseball. All right, let me try to unpack what he's talking about in flexibility. What is it what is it what do we mean when we talk about flexibility? It's really the ability to play more than one position. I think the Ben Zobrist is the ideal example of the highly flexible player who can play essentially all positions, probably not uh, including pitcher, um, although you never know, uh, or catcher, but can do infield, can do outfield, and you can place him really anywhere. And that's becoming more important because so much of the game is matchups. Now what is what is uh, what is understood by the, the concept of matchup? Well, Brenton, Brendan didn't really unpack it, but the idea is that right-handed hitters do much better against left-handed pitchers, and when you have cross-handedness, there's a uh, a um, an advantage to the batter when that's going on, and when the cross-handedness is a disadvantage to the pitcher, and also the concept of ground ball pitcher versus ground ball hitter and th- those kind of things. And so what they're doing is they recognize these things are, are matter, and they want to build a roster that has enough flexibility so that you can get the right matchups at the plate. Now, that makes it tougher to to place the batters in the field. And so flexibility means the ability to play more than one position so that when you pull out your regular second baseman because the matchup is terrible, you have this utility person that can be brought into second if they're needed, third if they're needed, shortstop, or in the outfield. And that's what it means for flexibility. And the Cubs and the World Championship Cubs, I might add, were really terrific at this. And this is how they built their team. And that is a strong analytics move. So let's listen to Brendan Harris again talking more about baseball. And what have you found about the analytics world as you've switched from on-field to off-field? It's it's like being in a room where people are speaking another language and then learning the language and knowing what they're saying now. Uh-huh. Um, that That's the type of... Uh, and so that's one of the you know many things that why I wanted to come here and certainly we just had a regression analysis course mm-hmm. and... There's things now that I want to test, you mm-hmm. know, in, in terms of, you know, players from the north, durability on the arms, um, uh, in in the rates of Tommy John, and and mixed hmm. in playing other sports and this and success rates that mm-hmm. I want to kind of run regressions on. Do you okay. have the data, the raw uh, data on that kind that's of thing? A, and, and so that's would be, you know, I'm going to have to get collected, collected, you know, which is but at least certainly it's not that difficult um there's each team has these army yeah. you know of guys that I can entrust their help i could say hey i've really you know pitched to my gym. hey i have a really important thing i want to do you know send me you know let me work with one guy yeah. and, and then kind of run it from there well, Brendan is now trying to figure out who's going to be a performer in the future. So he's dealing with high school players, minor league players, 
uh, college players and he needs to forecast their future performance. And one of the things that makes that challenging is injury. And he's talking about the holy grail of statistical analysis in baseball at this point, being able to figure out whose arms will hold up. And we've talked to Jeff Passan, who wrote the book about the arm. There's a an explosion of Tommy John surgeries in high school and certainly in college. And there isn't much data. So I'd love to see Brendan have some success on that project. I know that uh, I'd be chomping at the bit to see the results of it. And you never know, I might get there first. I don't, of course, have an army of, uh, of data collectors at my disposal. But if anyone listening has any data or would like to collect it, I would certainly love to analyze it. So our last clip, bonus clip, with our bonus guest, Scott Rosner, practice associate professor in the Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department, who came on a lark to talk to us about football. Here's Scott on some well-run franchises in the NFL. And we've got, I knew that we had three, and to hear you talk about with the reverence you have for Dimitrov and Pioli, we ha- it sounds like we have a fourth really, really well-run franchise. So it's kind of nice to see well-run franchises at the top of the at the end of the season. Uh, absolutely, and and so let me ask you this because I say this, I, I, I've said this for for years, and I've said it in class, and I've said it in other contexts. Over here's my approach: over a long enough period of time, right? Given competent management, good teams get bad. And bad teams get good in a lot of respects, right? Sports are cyclical. So if you think about it, even the great teams, I mean, the Patriots are certainly an outlier, right, for mm-hmm. how their sustained level of excellence. Well, you just don't see that, right? The coaches and the quarterback have been the consistence across the, that, entire, uh, that entire spectrum. But over the long enough period of time, right, is that the truth? No. Isn't that is just it, good regression to the mean? When I hear good gets good gets bad good, and bad, bad gets good, that's I'm like, job, given, all I hear given, is randomness. That's right. Well, given yeah. competent yeah, management. Yeah, right? Well, that's it, what I'm saying. So I don't there, think, there is an I, element of randomness. I, I think, too. like, I mean, you look when, when we, I think we just, there's a different amount of bad, you know, with, with, with good. I don't think they go completely good to bad. Like, there's not a huge swing. I mean, it's a start of a long conversation, which is, trying to understand what is the effect of management on on-field performance. That's another, I would say, uh, in a holy grail of, of uh, statistical analysis is in, in sports. Um, the idea being we don't really know how to evaluate management and coaching in the long term with respect to performance, and that's generally because of la- lack of amounts of data. So what Scott was kind of talking about was the obvious uh, talent that certain teams have for management and what we want to do is figure out well what does that mean in the long run in terms of performance um is are the new england patriots already headed towards the super bowl are they there because they've had possibly the the all-time best quarterback for 15 years or because of belichick or is it is it management or is it all three well, that concludes another edition of the Wharton Moneyball post-game podcast. If you want to hear the full show, it's available for download on SoundCloud and on the Apple iTunes store under podcast. Don't forget to check out Wharton Moneyball live every Wednesday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM's business radio channel 111. It is also replayed throughout the week. Join us for another week of the Wharton Moneyball post-game podcast. And until then, enjoy your sports, enjoy your stats.